Welcome to the Trumpet Call Podcast. Here we are with Terry Wickard again. Susan um, has just left the building, so uh, Terry's going to share this story that if you tuned in last time, man, great stuff on some some of their some of your journey, Terry, and you and Susan, and some things that you guys uh, have done and cultivated in your relationship with the Lord. Uh, just awesome. So if you haven't listened to that one, do it. But if you have listened to that one, you're waiting for this one because this is the story, Terry, that you were saying is just this awesome, uh, well, how'd you say it? I want to say answer to prayer, but it's more than that. Yeah, it it, it, it turned out it, it, it really was, John, a, a, a profound way that, that God really just showed up and, and um, spoke uh, to my heart, to Susan's heart, and to many others uh, about the way that he answers prayer and sometimes in unseen ways that, you know, that we don't, we can't discover right away. We don't, we don't see the whole picture right away. And so, yeah, I'll just, um, you know, I, I think maybe spend this podcast just kind of getting right into what happened. So as I mentioned in the last one that we, you know, we did this career in the, in the Navy and I'm, I'm as a submarine um, officer couple. And, um, and um, so we got to the point in my career where I actually had the privilege of having my own command. It was uh, the USS Alabama up in Washington state. And, and as I mentioned, the last podcast, we had just made it our, um, both Susan and I, um, you know, had just made it our, um, this was our practice. This was something that we were going to do. This was something that was going to be uh, one of the foundation pieces of our time together in command to pray for the crew, to pray God's hand of protection and safety over the crew that, that through the course of this command, which we anticipated that, you know, would last about three years, uh, that, um, that, you know, every crew member would be held in safety and protection of the Lord, believers and unbelievers alike. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and that we would not lose a single crew member to this dangerous life that, that, you know, the submarine life can be, I mentioned in the last podcast that, you know, an, an incident that happened one time off of uh, midway, right. You know, right in the same waters where the famous world war II battle occurred that went from just peace and calm to, uh, fire flooding men overboard and, and a near collision with a nearby tug in a, just a matter of seconds. And it just wow. characterizes the, you know, the way the life is. Mm-hmm. But so anyway, we, we, we did that. We did that readily. I'd love to tell you that, uh, you know, I prayed that prayer every single day. I don't, I don't think that's truthful, but I, it was a regular heartbeat prayer of mine and Susan's and mm-hmm. we father, uh, we're about to go do this thing. Would you have your hand of protection and safety over this crew? And I pray that not a single, uh, you know, serious casualty, serious wound, uh, nor death uh, would occur, you know, as, as we're doing this thing or we're going through this season of time on the ship or whatever the circumstance might have been. And we were about uh, two years into command, I think, and I had not. Uh, I could really sense that the God, you know, God had had his, uh, his hand in uh, protection and safety. And, uh, I don't know, John, just as I've, as I've thought about this, uh, 
I, I'd like to say that, you know, every day it was, uh, you know, right into Luke 18, one, uh, we ought always to pray and never give up. And I'm not sure that that verse was really written on my heart, but it most certainly characterized, you know, this time, mm-hmm. I think after you've been praying for something for so long and it's happened, it, it, it is easy to give up, or if it's not happened, it's easy to give up, mm-hmm. but we didn't do that. We, we continued to pray for that regularly. And so we had gone to sea, and uh, and we had a problem uh, in uh, in in uh, in the engine room with one of our turbine generators uh, that looked like it was beyond the capacity of the crew to repair. And uh, the submarines were built with a lot of redundancy. We could have uh, continued on with our mission, but we were only about a day or two out of port. And so I just made the decision, no, uh, we've, we've got some grace. We can make it up. You know, our, all of our submarines are nuclear powered and uh, they can run pretty fast and deep. And, um, and so I, I knew we could make the time up if it just took a couple of days uh, to conduct this repair. If we went in and, and got it all fixed up then we could kind of race back out and get on station and, you know, do the things that we were doing in support of national security. Mm-hmm. And so we did, we turned around and we came back in port to get this thing fixed. Now that the, we brought the shipyard, a shipyard crew of specialists in to conduct the repair. But of course we had our sailors working right alongside them because uh, they really knew the ship and, uh, you know, they could kind of describe what was wrong and so forth. So we put we put some crew, some of the crew and shift work to support this repair. And we'd been in port <clears throat> one day and the, the next morning um, I was up at my boss's office, the squadron commander who had command of the entire submarine of squadrons for which my submarine was attached. And I was just, you know, one of the commanding officers in his squadron. I was up there to kind of brief him on, uh, you know, what happened, why we came back, what the status of the repair was, Mm -hmm. kind of the effect on our mission, how we were making adjustments, so forth and so on. And his phone rang and uh, you know, I heard on the other end of the line, um, okay, yeah, wow, I'm really sorry to hear that. I, it turns out I've got the commanding officer of that ship right here with me. I'll, I'll let him know. Whoa. And um, those were not good words. No, no. <laughs> to, to hear. And so, you know, he, he hung the phone up and uh, for the sake of the family, I'm, I'm going to, you know, substitute a name here, you know, instead of, uh, you, you know, cause I don't, I wouldn't expect that they would be listening into this, but you just, you never know. And I sure. don't want to you know, bring up something that might still be raw for even after all these years, but so I'm, we'll, we'll say it's a petty officer Jones, one of our enlisted uh, sailors who happened to be, you know, one of the technicians that was in shift work to support this repair to the turbine generator. So my Commodore said, uh, Hey, Terry, do you have a, you have a petty officer, uh, Jones, uh, you know, on your ship and, you know, but that wasn't his name. It was a very specific name. And so, yeah, yeah, we do. And he said, well, that was the, that was the, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this, but that was the Washington state uh, police uh, saying that uh, he's, he's been killed in, in an auto accident as he was uh, traveling home from the ship oh, to his no. home as a result of the ship work. Hmm. And John, I, I just sat there stunned, you know, 
because for two years now we had been praying this consistent prayer, you know, mm -hmm. over the crew and their safety. And, uh, and this is a man that we had intentionally put in shift work and it was about, you know, 10 o'clock the next morning. And so it, it, it had occurred as he was making his way home. And, and, and what happened is, um, you know, he apparently, they believe at least that uh, it, he was on a, on a kind of a slightly divided road, but it was, it was two lanes, but there was a little divide here in, in the middle. And uh, they believe he probably fell asleep at the wheel, crossed over the dividing line and hit a, was hit by a logging truck, essentially hit on. Wow. Um, and so, you know, I, I just, as I said, I was sitting there in my stateroom and I was just stunned. I'm sorry, I was sitting with the Commodore and I was just, you know, stunned. And, uh, and I said, well, you know, well, thanks for... Thanks for letting me know. And I, you know, I need, I need to be truthful about this. Kind of one of my first thoughts <laughs> were as I was processing what I had just heard on my way back down to the ship. Uh, Lord, how, how could you do this? How could sure. you allow this to occur? You, you know, this is on my heart. You know, I've been praying for this. Susan has been praying for this for two years now how how could this happen mm -hmm. and uh, i think i've much i hope that i've matured in my faith a little bit this was this was a faith building uh, process you'll see as we get you know to the end of the story here but um i, I know that was probably an immature thought but it was it's truthful you know it is that is kind of what i thought and uh, so the commodore had told me before i left that uh Hey, Terry, if the wife calls, go down to the ship, you know, uh, get, you need to get in your, in your dress blue uniform. You, you need to get, uh, you know, his, uh, department head and his division officer in their dress blue uniforms. We'll get a chaplain ready to go. And then the four of you need to go over and, and visit the wife and, and let her know. But if she calls down to the ship, you've got to talk to her and, and you got to tell her the truth. And of course I knew that already, but I just thought, well, what are, you know, what are the odds of this woman calling the, the ship? Well, surely we'll have some time to get around and go to her house where we can speak to her face to face. So I made my way back down to the ship and I am not kidding you. I literally walked onto that ship and, uh, my yeoman, you know, I walked into my stateroom. My yeoman said, uh, sir. Yeah. Mrs. Jones is on the telephone and she wants to speak with you. Whew. And, um, and so I picked up the line and, uh, and she just said, you know, Hey, it's, uh, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. I would have expected that my husband is back. And, uh, I've talked to a couple people on the ship and they don't really know where he is. And so I just wondered if you knew anything, I sense that there might be something wrong. And, um, I, you know, I, I just sat there silent for a moment and I said, well, Mrs. Jones, I'm, I'm sorry to be the one to tell you this. And she started crying. Um, and I said, but we, we just learned actually from the Washington state police. And then she started really crying, uh, that he's been, he's been killed in an auto accident um, on his way home from the ship. And John, I don't think that I have 
ever in my life heard the pain and the sting of death like I did in the ensuing few seconds of what came through that phone. She dropped the receiver, uh, but, you know, she just dropped it. But, uh, and it was just screaming out in agonizing pain. And, and it, it, just, it just brought home the, the sting of death, uh, you know, for those who don't carry the hope of, of Jesus hmm. uh, in a way that I, you know, that I still, this has been many, many years ago now, but I, but I still definitely remember. And so we never did get her back on the phone. Uh, but, you know, so I ultimately just had to hang up and when we, and we went on and um, got around and made our visit. I went over, we went over together as a group and, um, you know, knocked on the door. There was a glass kind of screen door there. And uh, she, you know, she saw us standing there and she busts open the door and she comes out. She literally with both fists starts pounding on my chest and you know, it was like, what are you doing here? You're the last person in the world that I want to see. The Navy just killed my husband. And, mm -hmm. uh, and of course, the chaplain had briefed us that, you know, something like this could potentially happen. And they, he said, just, be, you know, just be, just be quiet. Just let her, you know, have her say and, and she'll calm down. And, and it turns out she did. And, and so we began to talk to her and comfort her and as best we could. And, um, and the chaplain was there to kind of explain kind of what the next steps would be and, and so forth. And so that, that visit, you know, was tough, but it was necessary. Sure. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we did that. And, uh, so we went back down to the ship and, um, I let the crew know and submarines are small. The, the, the crews are relatively small. Uh, you know, when we're not out to sea on a mission where we get some supplemental people, but, you know, typically a hundred and the attack submarines are about 120 and the ballistic missile submarines are 140 or so. So it's a family, uh, you know, you, you spend all this time together in, uh, in this steel tube, um, you know, locked up together, uh, submerged in seawater, completely isolated from the world on these, you know, uh, fairly rigorous missions, uh, working together as a team, and you form really, really close bonds. And, um, and so it's a family and the family had just lost a member of its, of the family. And so I, I, I mean, I knew immediately, Hey, we're not going to be able to, the, the, the turbine generator, you know, got fixed about a day later, but, uh, we're not, you know, I, I knew where there's no way we're going to be able to go back to sea in, until we deal with this. And so mm -hmm. another trip to the Commodore and told him, Hey, Commodore, I, I think we need to have a memorial service. Uh, you know, there was going to be a, a funeral, civilian funeral, uh, at their, um, you know, that they, that the family had arranged, but I said, I'd like to do this primarily for the crew. We'll invite the family. Uh, but, but this is primarily for the crew to have their time of grieving. And then we can go back to see and get on with our mission. But those were a tough three days, John. And I just, I just kept wrestling. I kept struggling with, <clears throat> excuse me. I kept struggling with this idea of Lord, what, what happened? And so we, we got this memorial service scheduled and it was going to be about, you know, I guess it was three days or maybe four after uh, 
you know, after the death had occurred. And uh, I was to provide kind of the, the eulogy, if you will, the, you know, just the, the, the uh, uh, sort of time of remembrance of, um, of this petty officer, petty officer Jones. <clears throat> and I remember I was sitting in my stateroom. It was about, it was about uh, maybe an hour or so before I was going to have to leave and head up to the chapel where the Navy chapel, where we were going to do this. And, uh, you know, just praying and thinking and kind of crying out the Lord. I prepared some remarks, but still, you know, really kind of still uh, confused on the whole thing a little bit. And uh, I just felt like, hey, man, I, I, I was locked my door in my stateroom. I told the yeoman, don't, don't disturb me. And, um, you know, because I, I just wanted to spend some time communing with the Lord over what it is, how, how I could provide comfort and hope to the crew. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, and my, I got, there's a little internal communication system that's a buzzer, you know, and I got buzzed by my, by my yeoman and, uh, and he said, uh, "Hey, Captain, there's somebody on the on the telephone that really would like to talk with you." And I said, "Yo, I we we call her Yeoman Yo." Uh, <laughs> and said, "Yo, I, I I told you I don't really want to be disturbed right now." And, and he said, uh, "Okay, well I'll, I'll let him know." And so he did, and then he buzzed me right back, and he said, "Sir, he really wants to talk to you." And I said, well, all right, put him through. And so uh, I answer the phone, John, and this guy says, are you Captain Wickert? And I said, I am. And he said, are you, are you a Christian? And I said, yeah, I am. I mean, I, I got to tell you, I was thinking, who is this guy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And why is he asking me this? And but anyway, he, he said, yeah, I, I am. Um, no, no, no. Are you really a Christian? Do you believe in the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ? And I said, yeah, I, I, I do. I really do believe that. Then he said, well, then I want to tell you about the last few minutes of your crew member's life. Yeah, sorry, John. You can see that even after all these years, that there's, you know, the spirit within me is still touched by mm-hmm. what happened in those ensuing few minutes. But he he told me he asked me, "Have you ever heard of the Jews for Jesus?" And I said, "Yeah, I, I have." And uh, and he said, "Well, I'm I'm one of those guys, and I was the first one onto the scene of this wreck." Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when I got there, your crew member was still alive. And so I pulled him out of the car and, uh, he, he had, he'd had a crushing wound to his chest. And, and so he couldn't, he was having trouble, difficulty breathing. And I could see that and, and, uh, and he couldn't really talk uh, well at all. And I just thought, this is it. This is the moment this guy's going to die. And I don't know if he knows Jesus or not. So I began to share the gospel with him. And, and 
he said, I just took him by the hand and I, and I told him, if you can hear me, you, you squeeze my hand and, you know, just to indicate that you hear me that, you know, a, a squeeze would be, yes, I hear you. And he got a light squeeze on his hand and he began to share the gospel with him. And, mm-hmm. and he got to the point where, you know, he asked him, would you like, uh, to, uh, to spend eternity with Jesus? Do, would you, would you accept him as your Lord and savior right now? And he got the squeeze and, um, and that was it. He died wow. after that. And about, about one minute later, the, you know, the, the EMT, the ambulance showed up and they come out there and they put the paddles on him and, you know, um, he's in cardiac arrest and uh, they put the paddles on him and, you know, hit him two or three times and, and then declare him dead at the scene. And, um, and, and now I've got to go up to this chapel and give this memorial service. Um, and I remember hanging that phone up and just thinking, I just sat there, you know, even more stunned when I was at the, at, at the initial report of this, that, uh, God, you are unbelievable. You are unbelievable in the way, in the way that you hear and you answer prayer. See, my, my prayer would be that one would none would be lost, that none, you know, would, 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 would they wouldn't be lost. And, and of course I, I was praying that they wouldn't be hurt or wounded or they wouldn't lose their life, but God had something else entirely in mind. Hmm. Uh, no, Terry, wrong prayer, that none would be lost to me. Hmm. And, and we found out later that, uh, that this, this guy, Petty Officer Jones, had kind of been involved in a cult that was kind of wrapped up in just the Old Testament. So they believed in a Messiah, but they did not believe that Jews that Jesus was a Messiah was the Messiah. Hmm. And, and of course, of, of course, this Jew for Jesus, you know, that was right <laughs> in the center of his wheelhouse. And so I don't know what gospel presentation he gave him, but I'm sure, you know, they're, they're trained to, to make exactly that point that Jesus is the old Testament Messiah. You know, he is the chosen one. And I just thought of all the people in the world that the Lord could have sent along on that highway at that moment, at that instant in time, uh, you know, to do this thing, uh, to, to, to have these last two minutes of life with this man, hmm. it was someone who could speak exactly to, to, to where his stumbling block was and bring him into the kingdom. And I thought, you know, also again later that those, those EMT technicians showed up and they put the paddles on him and they hit him with those paddles. And really what they were trying to do was to resurrect life from the dead but what they didn't know is that it had already been done. Hmm. The body was dead and it wasn't coming back, but that man got resurrected to new life. And uh, I'll never know. I don't think until I stand before Jesus myself, what role those prayers played. I don't know, but I know this. just like Luke 18, one said, we ought to pray always and never give up. 
Wow. And so, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was quite a deal. And then we, we had our memorial service. And by the way, uh, at the memorial, the family did come and Mrs. Jones came to the memorial service with their two children, with their two beautiful children, African-American family. And uh, I got a chance to talk with her and, um, you know, and, and just share some of this. And it's really interesting what happened. She, you know, she said, I knew it. I knew it. Huh. I, you know, I kept, I kept trying to tell him that this thing that we're involved in is not right. There's something wrong with it. Huh. And just, you know, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for letting me know this. And it just wasn't the right moment, you know, with everything that was going on to go right into the gospel with her. I've often thought maybe I just should have done it right then, but I, I, I confessed I did not. And then she, of course, they were transferred off, off of the ship, you know, out of our command. And we went to see the next day and I, you know, I, I never saw her again, wasn't able to follow up. She had moved by the time we got back from her mission, several months later, she, she had moved to another place. And, and so I don't, I don't know the rest of her story, but I do know that story that our amazing God showed up in an amazing way. Wow. I think in part to answer faithful prayers. Yeah. And wow. that's God. That's our God. And that's the power of prayer. Mm -hmm. That's such a great story, Terry. And uh, yeah, I just had to wipe away the tears a couple of times throughout that. Um you know, I've been thinking about, I we should wrap this up so to yeah. keep it in time, but I've been thinking about um, just, there's just no ceiling. I always put a ceiling on what God can do, put a ceiling on how great God is. I put a ceiling yeah. on how amazing and life-giving a relationship with Christ is. You know, oh, yeah. I got my quiet time this morning, so I'm good, versus trying to get a little bit more time with the Lord, because that's just going to be better. Um, yeah. And so I just love this story is just seems like dynamite for that ceiling. And so thanks so much for sharing that. Um, yeah. <laughs> so and I hope it, uh, you know, it can be a little bit of a downer <laughs> kind of story, uh, of course, but it's not that it's a, yeah. uh, it, it's a, it's a Hebrews 10, 23 story. I think let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Right. for he who promised is faithful. Yeah. And, yeah. and I would say it's great because all of us listening are in the military. We all have similar, I mean, right. we may not be in command. We may be just an E2, E3, but we have people in our life that if we just keep trusting Jesus, praying the things that God's put on our heart to pray for him, praying yep. the, the pray acronym and the ABCs, doing that right. stuff with people, loving them, man, we'll see the same stuff. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for tuning in, hearing Terry's story and, and really God's story and all the credit of just how Jesus Christ over and over again owns every single situation. And uh, we'll just give him praise, not only this life, but the next.